Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Gibbs Dairy Regional Extension Officer Rory McDonnell. Our guest on this week's episode is MAFRA-based vet and consultant Dr Richard Shepherd. Richard has done a lot of work on dairy farming systems in Australia, particularly on pasture-based farms, and at a recent discussion group meeting in Orbist, East Gippsland, I spoke with Richard and initially asked him his thoughts on selecting a system to maximise profit on a pasture-based dairy farm in Australia. We can go back to what we, we chatted with the discussion group here today. So what are the characteristics that make Orbost Orbost? What are your challenges and what are your, your, your features, your benefits of the regions? And some of the challenges that they've got is that they're actually a long way from grain. They, they believe that they've got limited processor capacity There's uh, where they can sell their milk. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, they've got deep topsoil, a, a large amount of rain um, and good mild yeah. climate most of the time. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's the characteristics that make up the farms in this region. My view is that every decision you make must be worked around how do you reap, harvest these benefits and whilst also managing the challenges of your area. And that's farming systems thinking and it relates to everything that happens on the farm. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about one particular component of the system, it's the integration of everything on the farm. I guess that's why it's called system. It's because it's everything's um, linked together. You can't look at anything in isolation. Um, yeah. As someone said, a solution to part of the problem is rarely a solution to the whole. So, so we can't just come here and say this farm has one problem and it's in cows or it's in pastures or it's in labour. And once we fix that, everything will work perfectly without ignoring the, the, the impacts between other things. Yeah. We have to work out how, how does the farmer combine all the resources with the features and the challenges of their farm to, to achieve their goals and make them some profit and, and, a, and a happy life. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, obviously, Orbist would be typical of a lot of the regions in South Australia. I know that over the last um, 18 months or so, they've had a particularly dry period, but in the long-term averages, is about eight or 900 mils of rain. That would be pretty standard for m- many regions in, in South West Victoria, South, South Gippsland, West Gippsland even, um, and even other parts of Australia. Yeah, so if you think of the, the, the characteristic um, features of, of this part of the world, eight to 900 millimetres of rain on average, they've got topsoil that most of them don't know how far, where the bottom of it is. Um, you know, they've got a mild climate by the coast. They can grow feed during the winter. Um, they can grow it in the spring and the autumn and normally in the summer if it rains. So they've got a lot of boxes that they can tick um, for pasture-based dairy. Yeah, yeah. So... I guess you have some thoughts then on that about pasture-based dairying and particularly around a cow, the type of cow that fits most profitably into a system like that. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yes, so I guess I'm less interested in, in the cow but more interested in the herd. And then the herd is actually, work, is actually working on a farm and, and so then it goes back to what is the farm's advantages? And as we discussed today with the group, what are, when do you grow your feed? When is it an ideal time for cows to be calving and, and going into peak milk? When is the time you don't want them to do that? And we've had a couple of the farmers today talked about spring as being their time. One of the farmers mentioned that autumn was the time that was yep. best for him. And so really the clarity is, is do you, if you understand how your farm works and you know that time, then you work backwards. Okay, so if they're trying to, uh, if they know when they want their cows to calve, 
The objective of the, of the cows is to be in a herd that can actually harvest grass and turn it into milk at low cost. Yeah. And then to do that consistently and sustainably and, and be responsive. And so when I think about that, I'm less interested in, in the individual cow. I'm interested in the performance of the herd. Yeah. And, and that's probably perhaps, I wouldn't say at odds, but a little bit maybe different to some of the, the, the thinking that's in the industry maybe over recent years and in the decades even where you know a lot of people put emphasis on, on on per cow production as such as a as a as a metric to measure how the performance of your farming system but that isn't always the most uh, the best approach no well if i if back to the way my way of thinking which is i'm trying to work out how the farm does best per cow production I'm interested in per herd production. Okay, yeah. so what the herd can do. Now I can I can achieve that if I have two choices, a high producing cow or a low producing cow, I can still eat the same amount of grass and produce roughly the same amount of milk by having a few more of the lower producing cows. So that's why I'm not hung up on production. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm agnostic about its need in our system um, as long as all the other characteristics of the cows are right. I'm, I'm not I'm not Advocating, I'm not advocating against per cow production, but I've got, a, I've got a simple management tool that I can make up for any deficiencies or perceived deficiencies in cow performance by just making sure I've got the numbers. Yeah. And once you think like that, it's then it becomes the other characteristics of the cow that become important. Okay. So I would like my cow to, to calve when I wanted to. I'd like her to do that year on year. And I'd like her to produce, convert feed efficiently into milk. Now, whether that's 25 litres, 35 litres, 45 litres, all I care is that if I spend a dollar on a bit of extra supplementary feed and I give it to her, she's going to give me more than a dollar's worth of milk back on yeah. average. And so I don't really care what level of production she's at because I can control farm production by just changing numbers. So I guess, Richard, uh, a, a counter-argument to that that you might hear from some people in the industry would be that if you have more cows and they're not producing quite as much, there will be a higher proportion of feed diverted towards maintenance of the cow and, and it won't be as efficient. How would you respond to that, that argument? Well, I'd say that's correct, and that's why I said that the two farms or the herds would produce approximately the same amount of milk, and that difference is true. Now, if we want to look on a day-by-day -day basis, and that is significantly a factor that comes into play, but if I then think about the cost of this cow, if I convert it to the equivalent of, say, a truck, okay, it may be able to lift, move as, uh, a, a X number of tonnes versus another truck that can move um, to 10% more tonnage. Yeah. But if, if one of the trucks gives me 20 years of life with no maintenance, very little maintenance cost versus one giving me 10 years of life, then the, the maintenance argument on daily energy intake is, is, is lessened by that. So what yeah. I want to know, I don't want a lesser producing cow um, that, that lives for the same amount of time and has the same fertility as a higher producing cow. That's just a silly move. Okay. The maintenance costs come into play there. What I want to know is, is I'm prepared to take a hit in daily milk production if it gives me longevity and a fertile animal that I can get more lactations out of that cow. Yeah. And one that goes in calf at the time of year that you want to optimise your, your feed supply on the farm. Well, that's the fundamental point, is that if either the cow is fertile enough to calve when you want it to, and then it'll fit into your system. If it's not, and you get the cow calves when and only she can, then you are at the mercy of the cow system. The cow must fit into your farming system, so she has to be fertile enough to, to get it in pregnant and calve when you want her to. Yeah. 
then the next aspect of that is you wanted to do it for X number of years, 10 years, or whatever yep. you can do, six, seven, eight years. Yep. You want, if you can do it time and time again, then you can take a hit on per cow daily production for that long living cow that'll calve when you want it to do, and she can contribute in the herd, and you get around to lower production there by having a few more cows, and yes, you'll have a slightly higher herd maintenance cost, but if, if they live for another one lactation on average, you will make it up time and time again. Because uh, one of the big factors that you see that return is the lower um, heifer rearing costs and lower lower turnover of animals in the herd every every year. That's correct. So, so you, people should have another way of looking at their, their cull cow check. You know, $800 for a cull cow, it's great for cash flow. Yes, it is. But if you think of what that cow cost you to get to a point of calving heifer, it could easily be $2,000. So every time you get a check for $800, you should think of it, I've only lost $1,200 on this transaction. Now, clearly you've got to turn cows over, they can't live forever. But if you can minimise that down to a reasonable rate that keeps your herd milk quality up and, and keep all those factors going, then, then that's where you get your money back. Yeah. So you can pay for a lot of maintenance by getting another lactation out of an animal. Yeah. But, but she's still got to fit into your system. And that's, yep. the, that's what I espouse to um, pasture-based farmers. Work out how and when your farm works. When do you want your cows to calve? Get a cow that can calve there for you and then get a cow that can calve for you uh, many times, a, a significant number of times. And then the final piece in the jigsaw is she has to be an efficient grazer, an efficient converter of feed into milk. Yeah. Now, if she does that at 25 litres or 30 litres, I don't care. As long as she does all those things, I can make up that five litre deficit in per cow production by just changing her size a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess something that, something that I recently saw in some of your work as well that kind of uh, reinforces this argument is that you feel that if you try and optimise per cow production in your system instead of per hectare production, you're automatically compromising per hectare production or, or the use of pasture in your system. Because yes. if you try and feed a cow on a pasture-based system to the absolute perfect diet as, fully as, as full as she can be, you're going to have higher amount of waste in your pasture-based system by definition. Could you explain that a little bit? Yes, that, that's right. So if you want the cow to do the best that she can to perform to her absolute genetic maximum, there will, she will never have a day in her life where she's hungry. Yep. She'll never have a day in her life when she has what's called an unbalanced diet. She'll have the perfect mix of protein, carbohydrates, fibre, nutrients, minerals. Yep. So you will have to pay for that. Yeah. So if every single day not a single cow in your herd goes hungry, you'll have good cow performance, but you'll be leaving feed behind. Yeah. You'll also be buying feed and supplements that um, you possibly don't need. Now, yeah. if you look at the price of land, pasture-based land, dry land irrigation, and you look at the maximum stocking rate of cows that can be run on those farms, the value of the land, past dairy pasture land, is at least two, often three times the value of the cows that it carries. Yeah. So if, if you're talking to your bank manager and you said you were going to optimise the cow over the hectare, he would look at you with a bit, bit of concern in their eyes. But if you said, I'm going to spend, I'll borrow all these million dollars to buy this land and I'll make that land work as hard as I can, great. The downside is, is that the cows will and should have a little bit of genetic potential unmet for that to happen. Yeah. It's just natural to be in our system. I'm not talking about starving cows. I'm just saying you can't fill that cow up and then maximise the performance of your land. Yeah. Uh, you just can't have both. So you, you're trying to do the best job for your most valuable asset. 
Yeah, and I think th- that's picking up on the the argument that you made earlier about per cow production because um, it's a, it's almost a trade off what you're describing. Like the benefits of the extra production per cow w- won't be offset by the wasted feed in the paddock if you were going to make them cows allow them cows to meet that genetic potential. That's kind of general. That's correct. But on the same token, I'm not talking about let's starve the cows until we eat every blade of grass. Because yes. if you if we follow that logic through, then if you if you're really pushing the cows as hard as you can to maximise the performance of the land, then you will have cows going hungry. Yeah. They will not maintain condition. They can't perform. Yeah. You're finding a happy medium between the cow and the land, but you're up the land end more, time, more than you are up the cow end. So the farm we were at today was fantastic. Fantastic grazers, beautiful residuals, good condition score, even spread of condition amongst them, and low cell counts, doing yep. all their jobs. So ticking all the boxes as far as I'm Yeah, and per cow production was a hectic. Uh, I know it was a once a day farm, but, but you felt that didn't matter because the other uh, yeah. big settings in the in the business were, I were think, fairly correct. Yeah, so I'm not... A, once a day milking, there was more of a lifestyle choice in this farm. What I was concerned with was, is the farm growing as much feed as it can? From what I saw, it is. I don't know the farm particularly yep. well, but we walked amongst it. How do the cows graze? Beautiful job what we saw today. Yeah. And when you look at the cows and you stand amongst them, they're all even. They're not some cows are winners, some cows are losers, you see in some herds, not in this herd. They're all yeah. contributing their own way. And you know, with you need five percent more or five percent less because you've got a different quality of cow, it's not as important as the big picture settings, which is grow the feed, have it eaten, have a cow with reasonable condition so that she says, I've eaten an extra kilo that beyond what I need to survive, I might as well put it into the vat. Yeah. You want that's what you want in our system. And you build everything else around it, make all your decisions uh, revolve around those sort of fundamentals. Yeah, and to be clear as well, you're not suggesting that you don't use supplements. Uh, a bit like what John Mulvaney said previously on some of our episodes, it's about efficient use of those supplements. Well, you can't have high pasture harvest without feeding su- supplements, feeding supplements, sorry. Yeah. You have to. You have to do it to fill the holes in the troughs. And you also have to do it, feed supplements to manage condition score and give the cow the capacity to respond. And also... Many times, possibly in the year coming ahead of us, is that we will have situations where the cost of supplement and the, the milk price is such that the cows only have to give you, a, you know, 0.8 of a litre of milk when you've got your money back. And if you have cows in that position where they're in good body condition school, you fill them up, they've got a little bit of capacity left to eat, they'll have one more kilo that you've actually had to go and buy off farm. Yep and they make a litre and a half of it, well, that is profit that you should be harvesting. And you can only do that if you have a reasonable stocking rate and you are feeding some form of supplement already so that you can actually have that capacity in the system. To go up or down, depending. To go up. And by the same token, you want to have not too many cows on your farm so that if things turn against you and the cost of supplements through the roof and the milk price is poor, that you can pull it out and you don't compromise your herd. Yeah. And that's the art of being a good grazing herd manager. You know where that sits in your farm and where you how, when and how you can respond. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, as well, going back to what you said about the efficient grazer, there are certain cows you, you feel potentially in, in the industry that are more efficient grazers than others. It might be a slightly controversial topic to get into, but, uh, but there are probably cows that are more suited to these type of systems that we have here with where we want optimised pasture use yeah. than, for example, somewhere like America where there might be yes. in a barn-type system. Yes. So, so there'll be a more modest producing cow for a start and possibly a smaller frame. 
You know, I've never really got too concerned about cow substitution. I'm interested in substitution at the herd level. So, so the residuals are really important. Are the cows leaving feed behind? Sometimes that's to your advantage and you will harvest that feed the next time. Sometimes it's not to your advantage. So substitution at a cow level, I'm not really concerned about. It's substitution at the herd level and the good grazing managers use that to their advantage and that, that helps them maximise pasture harvest minimises the requirement for supplement but doesn't take it away. You can't have high pasture consumption and zero supplementary feeding because the troughs are too big and the cows will crash during that. You've got to be able to prop them up through the troughs yeah. and feed them into the, into the peaks so that then they can take over. And it's that ability to titrate what you're doing is what defines a good farm. And yeah. I think it's the herd. Look at the herd, not the cow. How does the team of cows perform? It's like football. Um, you know, one or two champions in your herd's no good. You want a team. You want the champion team to be out there, and that is what is your herd doing. Yeah. And they can be reasonably average animals, and if they're managed right, they'll do the job. Okay. Yeah. And I guess I suppose one of the one of the big traits that that drives this type of a cow in a system then that I know you've spoken heavily on. You've done a lot of research on is dairy cow fertility, and as we know. Fertility has been pretty average to poor on many Australian dairy herds and there's probably been a decline over the last couple of decades that perhaps is being addressed now ever so slowly perhaps, but it hopefully is trending in the right direction. Um, so how important is it to, to get the fertility in your herd right for these systems and how do farmers achieve that if, if, it, if they're struggling? I know it's a hard question to answer. Well, I think the concern I've got with fertility is that because fertility has declined, it's been a global decline, not just Australia, everywhere, um, is that the decline in fertility has made farmers change systems. So when I first came into Gippsland over 20 years ago, most of the farmers in my area were single seasonal carvers. As fertility has declined and the empty rates went up after preg testing, people just couldn't have horror in their eyes at the thought of culling that many cows. They went to split yeah. carving. And that's, that's, that's a common story for many farms. Yes, yeah. and look, we, our seasons haven't been as, our springs haven't been as fantastic and our autumns haven't, you know, the seasons have flattened out a little bit and the milk factories chased out of season milk and so there were a lot of positives for the industry for doing that. You know, a flatter milk supply curve, better use of the stainless steel. And so it sort of eased the pain a little bit and people would change their calving patterns and next year's profitability would be about the same. But what's happening now, I think more and more, especially as we start becoming aware of the effects of climate change, is that um, the seasonal changes are, are becoming, swings are becoming quite dramatic. And in most regions, when the traditional calving season was, from 50 years ago or more, was when the bulk of feed was here most reliably. And then the alternative season was the one that some, a lot of the time it was reasonably reliable, but I think what's happening now from the analyses that I've done is that, the, the, for example, in some of the, the spring rainfall dominant areas, winter spring rainfall dominant areas, the autumn now is becoming even more unreliable. Yeah. So one in two years are failing. And so why have a pile of cows calving then? Okay. Yeah. With because, a higher feed demand for the herd. Well, they'll have a higher days. feed demand. If your autumn's failed, then you've obviously gone through a hot, dry summer as well. And so there's not going to be a blade of grass on the joint. And the cost of supplementary feeds and hays through the roof. And now you've got a pile of high-quality cows calving then. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so what I'm seeing is that fertility has changed the system. And now the seasonal changes are compounding that are making the bad years really hurt. 
yeah. more than they did before. So just to be clear, a, a change in calving pattern in your farm is a change in system. It is. And, and it's important that if a farmer chooses to do that, it's driven by factors which are favourable to him as opposed to yeah. a, a, reason, a, a different reason. For example, if you couldn't get all the cows and calf in spring yes. and you decided, I'll just have a few calving in autumn, but it might not suit your area or your farm, and suddenly you're, you're going down a probably a rabbit, hole. A, a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of there. Yes, and so that's with the group today. I said, let's list what's the best features of Orbost. What are the challenges of Orbost? And the logic was is those fundamentals should be behind every single decision you make on the farm. Not just with your cows, with your pastures, with your labour, with when you want to go on your holidays. That's the things yeah. you have to deal with. And if you bring every question back to how's, how's this um, play to my benefits, how's it play to my challenges, then you'll, you'll make the right decisions. And sometimes the cows let you down, okay, and there's, there's ways around it. So you can have situations where you've had... Uh, uh, an increased empty rate. Well, yes, you could swing cows across to calve, say, in the autumn, or you could cull them and then have more replacements. And one's going to have a short-term um, pain. Um, and, and Which is culling them. Yeah, yeah. the culling them, versus perhaps you've also maintained your seasonality, been able to ride out tougher systems already. The long-term solution, of course, is to have enough fertility in, in your cows that they... They will carve on average most of the time when you want them to and yep. you can, can control that. And so take fertility out of play in your farming system stuff by having a fertile herd. Yeah, so you have more control of risk yeah. in that case. And so that means we need to have a greater focus on fertility in my mind. We've got fantastic genetic tools in the Australian industry. Those breeding values are very good, solid, they work really well. But the farmers that I deal with, the ones that I meet most of the time, the biggest problem that they've got is fertility. So I say that is the area of your focus. Your, your primary trait you're after is fertility. I'm not saying to select against anything, but yep. I would say rank cows, cull the ones the size off that list who have traits that you don't want or have undesirable traits. But I also say to farmers, I'm less concerned about the production um, traits because yep. I know I can get around them by having a few more or a few less. Yeah. You know, if fertility is the biggest problem in your herd, fix it as fast as you can, okay? So and whilst I'm, the way to do that is I guess by selecting for it as hard as you can. Yeah, that's your primary selection goal. Instead of having a bit of everything and as a result not much of anything, focus on it. And if you think you're going to take a hit because you're not actually increasing the productive capacity of your cows, well, you've got a way you can manage around that by just having a few more yeah. or a few less. And you will get it there quicker. And if you move your cows to calve when you want them to calve or when your region says it's the most reliable time to calve, you will make a significant difference to your cost of production. Yeah. You, you're, you're becoming risk ready. You're ready to handle the next tough yeah. season that's thrown at you. And the other advantage of having a fertile herd is that if you have had such a tough year that you've actually had to cull a bit heavily and you've reduced your herd size, you've actually got the fertility in your herd to grow that herd back up to the, the proper number uh, of cows for your farm quicker. quicker. Whereas if you don't have a fertile herd, you're either buying the animals at the risk that it has or you're going to take a lot longer to be there. Yeah. The thing we have to try and set ourselves up to do is to get through that tough year with our herd and our system approximately intact so that we can be ready to harvest the next good year, which will be just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. And I guess when get a bit, getting into a little bit more specifics about what, what constitutes good fertility, 
um, whether we talk about six weekend calf rate or empty rates or, or whatever um, could you give a kind of a, an estimate of what you would consider good high high level of, of a fertile herd effectively and for a pasture based dairy system in southern Australia and because there's a huge amount of, of I guess conjecture as to what exactly is good and bad in the industry well I mean I think at the moment we've got a lot of herds with 20% empty rates I think if we can first target is aim for that first number to be a one get it to around the 10 11 12 percent then aim to go below that I think in stepping stones if I saw a herd that had a 10% empty rate and a six-week in-calf rate, you know, in the mid to high 60s, we, we're making some progress. Yep. Why is the six-week in-calf rate important? Because that tells you how quickly and condensed your calving is. And if you think of what happens with your spring flush, that says you can actually time your, your herd demand to meet your spring flush. That's right. And your empty rate says how long are your cows going to last as a piece of working machinery in your herd. If you get it down to 10%, you know, allow yourself another 5% for mastitis and other losses, you're going to get six years out of your cows. And that's a pretty good, that's a yeah. good working system. But beyond that, you know, it's just icing on the cake. But, I mean, the objective would be to aim for a 10% empty rate. We're a long way from it, most of but that's a good aspirational target to get to. And mid to high 60s in your six-week income. Yeah, from. and I guess the thing about the empty rate is that it doesn't take into account how long you might join for you know, and that's where the six-week calf rate that's also, why it's also covers yes. that. Because if you have, if you are a joining period that goes on for 12, 14, 15, 16 weeks, potentially, which you do hear about on some farms, then, you know, eventually all the cows, you'll get enough cows and calf to get that empty rate down, but you still won't have real control over your calving pattern in terms of really tightening it up. That's it? right, yeah, I agree. So just on that then, Richard, uh, the daughter fertility sub-index, there are a number of ways you can improve fertility on your farm, I guess. Management is, is and nutrition uh, are, are both contributors, contributors to good fertility, but what about the role of genetics and breeding? I know it might not be a very large role, but, it, but you feel like it is important to breed for that, that, that trait. Absolutely. I mean, the fundamentals are a, a year-in-year out sort of things that you have to do. Have the cows calve in good condition, have them calve early, you know, manage their transitions, be good heat detectors, use good insemination techniques, and all that, etc. That's going to help you have good fertility in the year that we're talking about. But how are you going to change your herd? You have to do that through genetics. Yeah, so it is a, it is a heritable trait. For it sure. is a heritable trait. It's not particularly heritable, but it, 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 it's cumulative and it adds together and yeah. it's part of our solution um, to more fertile cow. It was part of the reasons we ended up with a less fertile cow over the years. Fertility um, declined as we were we, we focused on production. Now you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have a highly productive cow that's got a positive fertility. Okay, and that's part of our balanced indices. What I'm saying yeah. to farmers who I'm dealing with who have got who contact me because they've got a fertility issue and it's the biggest problem that they've got I'm saying yes that balanced index is going to work for you but it's going to be slower than if we absolutely focus on fertility and we just have the other traits the nice to haves just have a have a flaw on them as I won't go below this but I if I don't have the you know 10 plus 10 kilos of protein gain I'm not going to lose any sleep over it for a few years while I'm after fertility because guess what I can get around it by having one or two or two or three percent extra cows in my herd and if yeah. I'm a good grazing manager I can guarantee it'll end up in the fat. Yeah yeah and the tool that the industry uses in Australia is the daughter fertility ABV 
Um, so just briefly for farmers out there that might not be familiar with that, um, just describe how, what level or what ABV score you need to be probably aiming for when you're selecting your bulls. I know it's a tricky well, one. Well, the daughter fertility ABV, it's got a, it's stand, it's, most of the other ABVs have a value of zero. So in other words, if it's plus 10 on protein, then the daughters of this bull will be on average 10 kilos of protein better off or whatever yeah. With fertility, it's 100, based on 100%. It says that if you have 100%, uh, a daughter fertility ABV, then the six-week in-calf rate of a herd of those cows will be the industry average. Yeah. Okay, so there's two aspects to it. Where are you compared to the industry average as to what sort of sire ABV you need? On your herd. So if you're below average, then an ABV bull daughter fertility sire of 100 is probably going to raise the fertility in your herd, okay? Yeah. The bottom line is, is that... If you have a, you know, if you're not going to do any harm by picking a sire of fertility of 120 if you had it there, as long as all the other traits were okay, and if you understand that you're not taking a huge hit if you decide a zero um, for fat and protein, um, you, you can get around that yeah. for the reasons we've discussed before. So what the daughter fertility is, it says how much would my... Um, would the average herd's six-week in-calf rate improve if I use the the sire of this ABV and it's measured in percent? So it'd be 110. You'd be doing about 10% better than the than the average herd if you yeah. had a daughters from this sire in your herd sold. And that's so, in terms of the six-week in-calf rate. Yes. So yeah. so we so even a sire of 120, if your herd is 90, then you really the gain's going to be slow because you're only bringing this slow amount of number of heifers yeah. into your herd each time. And that's why I'm saying. If fertility is your biggest issue, throw your weight behind selecting for fertility for a good four or five years minimum and get that fertility boost into your herd whilst not selecting against anything else, but just focus on it for a while and see where you can go. Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, another thing that's worth highlighting is that a lot of the stuff we talked about here on, on a systems level, it's all uh, pending that depending on the fact that you are maximizing the pasture grown and used on your farm so that's one of the key fundamentals and we kind of are assuming that that's already there yes you have to be doing that so you 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 need to be able to harvest grow the grass well and that's nothing to do with cow fertility you need to be able to harvest it well which is a bit of a function of how good your cow is at grazing but also more importantly how good you are as a grazing manager and also how good you are at a strategic supplementary supplement feeder because you need to be able to do that so if you have those fundamental building blocks in place then you can harvest fertility to your advantage on top of that but you need those um, bases in place yeah you have to do that first and foremost yeah thanks Richard I think we've covered quite a lot of topics there in that discussion uh, at systems level which hopefully is of benefit to uh, to our listeners and um, and we'll get people maybe thinking and stimulate people to think Mm. a little bit more deeply about their systems and why they have certain settings in their business yes. that way. Um, yeah, so there's no, there's not, we're not sitting here saying here's the only way to um, to run a farm. We, we, what I'm trying to say is you will know and the people around you will know what is the most suitable farming system. When do you carve your cows? When does the grass grow best? When, when is your farm likely to be a bog? Or when is your farm likely to be so hot that you know nothing will grow? Those are the fundamentals of your farm. How does that influence every decision you make 
on the yep. farm to your advantage. And one of the things it is, is what type of cow do you have, okay? Yep. That's just one part of the thing. And the other system things along the same line is what sort of pastures do you grow? What sort of feeding system will you use? All those things come into play. That's all part of a system's thinking. And if every one of those questions, before you try and answer it, you go, now what's it gonna do to the features and benefits of my farms and the challenges of my farm? If I do this, how's it going to impact there? That then you are thinking systems level stuff, and you'll make the right decision more times than you'll make the wrong decision, and you'll move to uh, um, a more satisfying and profitable farming um, farming system for yourself. Great. Well, thank you very much, Richard. I appreciate your time, and uh, um, look forward to catching up with you at the next discussion group. Well, that was Richard Shepherd with more than just food for thought. That was a whole three-course meal to chew on and think about. We'd like to thank Richard and all of our listeners who are already helping to make Dairy Pods such an important part of Gibbs Dairy's extension activities. Don't forget to subscribe to Dairy Pod on iTunes and SoundCloud, and catch you all next time. <laughs>